It is good to be home. Good to see you guys. We were in uh, Fremont, California last week at um, Greg and Wendy Seamus's church, and uh, Wendy is Bill Johnson's baby sister, so I feel like I got one step closer to Bill through this trip here, so very exciting. Great church. You're doing a great work out there, but I tell you what, it's just always good to be back home to the most dangerous group of people in Columbus, Ohio. Always good to see you. So two quick things. We've got Jordan and Emily come up here. Jordan and Emily Rice. And Eddie and Nikki Reardon, come on up here. All the way up. Mary, you want to come up here with me? And so, yeah, and uh, actually, if we could have um, Sarah and Brian come up here. And I see, um, I saw baby Joy, and uh, is Josiah and Lauren here, or just Lauren? Josiah and Lauren, why don't you guys come up here, too? Why is it everybody? Just everybody come on up here. Just, and so, yeah, so let's, uh, let's do this first, and I'm going to interview you guys next. And so... Jordan and Emily are transitioning into the youth leader position, and so we're very excited about that. Jordan, uh, Jordan moved here a couple years ago to go to the school, and had just been serving, and so uh, we are super excited about that, and, uh, and their new dog, Bruno, and, uh, but mostly about the youth pastor thing. And so uh, very excited, and you guys know, we, uh, you know, children are a heritage from the Lord. They are the future of, uh, of the church, the future of America, so we're so excited to take care of them. But um, we have our, uh, the, youth pa- the two youth pastors right before them are here. I just by happenstance. So I, this wasn't planned. And so Sarah is her fiance, Brian, and Josiah and Lauren. And so we are so glad. So I want you guys to just pray in uh, um, Jordan and Emily here. Uh, the youth pastor before Josiah is pastoring in um, Pickerington, on our Pickerington campus. And the youth pastor before him is pastoring a church in Westerville. So they couldn't be here this morning. And so, um, but we are so glad. And so if you guys will just come and lay hands on Jordan and Emily here. And uh, we're just so thankful for the, the groundwork that's been laid, you know. I mean, nobody just uh, does ministry in a vacuum. There's been a culture created there of hunger and presence and uh, evangelism and, you know, just breakthrough and going for it. And so, um, actually, you guys served as youth leaders under, I think, both of these, both the other youth pastors here. And so, super excited about it. And Josh, served under Josh, too. So, all right. If you guys could just uh, stretch out your hands and let's just bless Jordan and Emily. We don't want to bless them, but we do want to bless them. <laughs> And so, um, yeah, thank you, Jesus. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for your goodness. And Lord, uh, I just pray that the dreams that are in their heart, though, that you will add fuel to it, that you'll expand their vision, and that you will anoint them to touch the lives of those youth, that they will just not have a good youth group, but they will continue to raise up world changers, uh, people who know who they are. God, they are so in love with you, they just say no to sin. And, uh, Lord, that it'll, it'll, their staying power will keep them in the name of Jesus. So, Lord, we bless them. Let your hand be upon them. Let your goodness be upon them. God, I pray for ideas and favor and strategies. And I pray it would be a youth group where the misfits fit, find a place to call home. And, uh, and, and, uh, and the leaders, Lord, they become even greater leaders, and they uh, become even more accepting. So we bless you, Jordan and Emily, to run in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Thanks, Josiah. Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming up here. All right. Let's see. We've got to need a microphone here. You know, interesting, 92% of uh, people raised in the church, they fall away from God uh, after age 18. Isn't that interesting? The 8% that stay, uh, that stay committed is because they were, part of a, um, they were part of a family that saw God answer prayer. So, I mean, one of the things we go after is seeing God move and answer prayer. And so, listen, guys, don't ever apologize for being charismatic. Don't ever apologize for wanting to see God, the fullness of him coming into your life. Your kids, our kids, they need to see that. They don't need to just hear a good story, all right? So we've got Eddie and Nikki here. And Eddie and Nikki, 
Wow, there's some love in the room here. This is good. This is good. You guys just got back from Uganda. You just got back from Uganda. Sean just got back from India. And um, he's only there a week and he has an Indian accent. I'm like, Sean, just stop it. Just talk normal, okay? But we'll hear more from Sean later. But uh, I'm glad to see you still got your American accent. So um, Eddie and Nikki are now leading the young adults group, kind of the 18 to 20-something-ish, that whole thing there. So why don't you guys tell us where you're meeting, what's going on, and all that good stuff. How's it going? Uh, I'm Eddie, and I'm from America. Yes. <laughs> so, so we say the accent gives them away. Yes. Yeah, I know. Mukama Yabazibwe. Amina, it means amen. So praise the Lord. Amen. Jambo. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, 18 to 30-ish, we're not carting people at the door. Uh, we, meet, <laughs> we meet every Monday uh, in our basement in Grandview. From about 7 o'clock to 10 o'clock, we have been known to go to midnight. just depends on whatever Holy Spirit's up to. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, if you want more information on, like, where we're meeting. Um, on yeah, let's not give your address over live stream. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah but Zion's yeah. website has us on there. We're called Encounter Young Adult Group. Um, you can also check us out on our Facebook page. Um, we typically meet at our house, but sometimes we might change location depending yeah. on what's going on. All right, so every Monday, so tomorrow night, it'll be tomorrow at your place. Yeah. And so, at seven. awesome. Yeah. All right, we are so excited to have you guys, and so thank you for sharing. Bless you guys. Welcome home. Are you guys ready for some outrageous good news? I tell you what, I mean, uh, I, I hope this is all, but I was encountering God while preparing for this message. I hope that doesn't sound like an exception, like, oh, this is the one time, you know, but uh, it's something so new. It's usually just cold steel, you know, no. Um, no, it was just a real freshness uh, this week. It was just really precious. So just looking forward to sharing with you guys. So I want to talk about living in the power of the new covenant. Everybody say New. <clears throat> It's not old. It's not an old covenant. That thing is done. It is a new covenant. So I want you to imagine that you're working uh, at a place and they're not paying you very well. Some of you are like, I don't have to use my imagination. Anyway, <laughs> imagine you're uh, living in an apartment and it has rats and it has bed bugs. In fact, the rats actually have bed bugs. It's, it's a horrible situation even for the rats. And so you're working at this place. You've got a car that's broken down. Half the time you're trying to hitch rides to work and everything and uh, you, they're not paying you enough. You've got no health insurance. It's just a terrible situation. And all of a sudden, the boss comes. You say, listen, we want to make a new arrangement with you here. And uh, we've been looking at your performance. And um, it hasn't been great, but we want to bless you anyway. We just feel like you're the kind of person. And so they say, here's what we want to do. We want to put you up in a luxury apartment. And uh, we're going to pay for the whole thing. We're going to pay for your groceries. We're going to pay for your chef. We're going to pay for your cleaning. And uh, by the way, we also got you a car. Uh, it's a brand new car. And, uh, you know, someone talked about what your dream car. It's actually your dream car. It's a Mercedes E63 AMG with 600 horsepower. <laughs> 640 foot-pounds of torque. Zero to 60 in 3.2 seconds. Come on, can I get a witness? Yeah. With the optional design old leather interior package. Anyway, and so, um, so imagine this guy is like, wow, this, 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 sounds, this sounds too good to be true. And he goes back, and uh, his car's broken down, and he walks home. And he goes back to his rat-infested, bed-bug-infested uh, apartment and uh, continues to um, send his payments to his landlord and send his uh, car payments to the uh, bank that has his loan and continues to live and squander when he's got luxury and uh, just a whole different way of... Like, you, you listen to that, you say, that's insane. Why would anybody go with the old when there's something new available? Imagine if the tax guy came into you and said, listen, we've, uh, we've got a whole new arrangement with you. You know those 5,800 pages of the tax code? 
It's not an exaggeration. And um, uh, we've decided that uh, this no longer applies to you. In fact, um, we are going to pay your taxes for you. You don't even have to file them. You don't have to worry about them. So April 15th, it's just another day to you. Don't even worry about it. So sales tax, income tax, federal tax, state tax, property tax, whatever other taxes there are. I know there's a whole bunch of them. Um, those no longer apply to you. We're going to pay them uh, on your behalf. In fact, um, what you normally would pay, we're just going to give that to you in your bank account. Just, you know, and you're like, no, I, I don't know. I just, um, I, I, I just don't feel good enough for that. And so I, you keep sending your tax payments in. You keep, like, like, that's insane, right? This is how so many believers are living in the kingdom of God. There is a completely new arrangement that God has made that is so beyond belief that people are like, I don't know, I just, I, I just don't feel worthy. I just, you know, I, we're going to go through this whole thing. But there is such a big difference between the old and the new. Like, they are not anything alike, okay? Here's what God announced to man, Hebrews 8, 13, the Living Bible. God speaks of these new promises, of this, is, of this new agreement, as taking the place of the old one. Imagine a husband says, hey, this is my new wife. Okay, it's a terrible illustration, but you get the point. The idea is like, the old is gone. Okay, it's a terrible illustration. For the old one is out of date or obsolete now, and has now been put aside forever. I, okay, whatever. I didn't encounter God during that part. It's coming up later, all right? But I want you to get, um, this verse tells us something shocking. The old ways that God was dealing with people are completely done, obsolete, gone forever, and there is a new way available. Uh, your response should be, wow, I, I want to see what these new ways are. I want to find out about them. Listen, the only reason someone's still living in the old is because they don't understand the new or they just don't believe it. Because the only thing you have to do to receive the new is to understand it and begin to believe it. There's no works. There's no becoming better. There's no all these things. If you're holding on to the old covenant ways, this verse tells you what's happening to uh, your life. It's fading away. It's disappearing. There's ministries built on the old covenant telling people how horrible they are and how they got to... Man, there's, there's whole prophetic movements based on this. God's about to judge you. If you do this, then God will do this. If you don't do this, God... Guys, that's Old Testament. If, then, if, then, thou shalt, thou shalt not. That's the old covenant. Well, I heard this prophet was prophesying, you know. Listen, we're going to see in a second, God remembers your sins no more. So why is he going to judge a city for its sin? Old covenant. Hold on, Jim. What if people start believing it? Then they will start living in the new. And they will be changed more on accident than they ever could through their self-efforts in the old. Hebrews 8, 7, and 8. The old agreement didn't even work. Do you know why it didn't work? Because there was a constant God and there was a variable human. You know what the humans did? They varied all the time. They were unreliable. They couldn't keep it. And God, God, he kept his part. If you obey me, I will bless you. If you disobey me, I will curse you. The old covenant was not great, but it was there to teach us, listen, guys, God's got these standards and you can't meet them. You need somebody else, a covenant representative to come meet them. And then you get joined with him and God treats you as if you did that stuff yourself. The old agreement didn't even work. If it had, there would have been no need to, for another to replace it. But God himself found fault with the old one. I mean, there's so many, I, I hear these movements out there, they're like, we, you know, we, we need to still keep the law. You know, we don't have to keep the law, but we're still supposed to keep the law. What are you talking about? The old didn't work. 
there is a new one. God's the one who found fault with the law. The law was perfect. Okay, it revealed the character of God, the beauty of his holiness, what it looked like to love God and love people. The fault was that people couldn't keep it. So here's what I want to do. I want to help us understand the difference between the old and new. It's going to be a simple message. I'm about to give you five minutes worth of one-liners. They're going to be all one-liners, and I'm going to pause after them because it's just like, okay, you guys ready? All right. I'm going to start with John 1.17. It's going to kind of introduce it to us. For the law was given through Moses... Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law was given through a servant. Grace and truth were given through a son. Remember, we're just going to paint the divide here. The law talks about what man ought to be. Grace revealed who God is. In the first miracle of Moses, he turned water into blood, resulting in death. In the first miracle of grace, Jesus turned water into wine, resulting in life and celebration. The letter of the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. Under the law, God demands righteousness from a sinfully bankrupt man. But under grace, God provides righteousness as a gift. The law requires, grace enables. Which covenant would you rather be under here? Because here's the truth, guys. Anyone who trusts in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, you are under the new covenant. A lot, of, a lot of believers say they're still living in confusion. Jesus said you cannot put new wine into uh, old wineskins because when the new wine comes in, it expands and it'll burst and you'll lose the whole thing. If you try to put the old covenant law with the new covenant and mix it up in there, and it's all by grace, but you better be on your best behavior. You better, you know, you better be holy so that God's power can flow. Guys, guys his power is not going to flow because of your behavior. It's going to flow because you just believe that he's good. You believe what he said. You believe his promises. There's two laws in the new covenant, the law of faith and the law of love. The law of faith is, I believe you are who you said you are. That's it. Real simple. Under the law, God said, I will by no means clear the guilty, but I will visit their sins to the third and fourth generation. But under grace, he says, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Anyone who's telling you that there's generational curses under the new covenant is under mixture. They're deceived. They're preaching. Here, here's what, um, uh, oh boy, I'll tell you what, who says it's strong is uh, this guy named the Apostle Paul. He says, oh foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? He says, um, uh, even if I or an angel from heaven comes to you and they preach you a different gospel, let them be damned. Let them be cursed. What was the gospel other than what he preached? Is that Jesus wasn't enough. You better be on your best behavior. Guys, here's the thing. When you're experiencing the grace of God, you will be on better behavior than you could in your own strength. Well, I don't know. You need to clean up your uh, act so that God's spirit can flow. The only way you can clean up your act is if the spirit flows. The woman caught in adultery experienced grace. Then he told her to go sin no more. He didn't say go sin no more. Then you can experience grace. We have no hope of cleaning ourselves up. Our only hope of cleaning ourselves up is if he does it for us. You cannot jump into the middle of an ocean and not get wet. You cannot jump into the middle of grace and not have your life changed and become walking out of sin. It's the grace of God that teaches you to say no to ungodliness. How are you going to get better? Experience his grace. 
Well, do I have to act better first? That makes no sense. You can't act better first. You have to experience grace. Helpless dependence. Thank you, Jesus. The old was based on man's performance. The new is based on Jesus' performance. (laughs) By the way, he got all A pluses, even in the advanced placement classes. So now when you come to God, you're not bringing your report card to be judged based on your performance. You're bringing Jesus' report card judged based on his performance. God's rewarding you for Jesus' report card. There's still people that are believing today. If I obey God, God will bless me. If I disobey God, God will curse me. You know what that's called? Mixture, and it nullifies the grace of God. It makes it ineffective in your life when you believe mixture. The law is man-oriented and says, you shall, you shall not. You shall, you shall not. The emphasis on what you must do in order to please God so you can receive blessings. Grace says, I, this is God speaking, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Okay, that wasn't my opinion. That was Hebrews 10, 8, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 8, verses 10 and 12. The law is man-centered. It's about what man must do. Grace is Jesus-centered. It's about what he has already done. I'm hoping this is just breaking something off of you. It's helping me. The law tells you what you must accomplish. Grace focuses completely on what Jesus accomplished. Under the law, you are disqualified by your disobedience. Under grace, you are qualified by Jesus' obedience. Under the law, you are made righteous when you do right. Under grace, you are made righteous when you believe right. Hashtag scandalous. Under the law, even the best failed. Under grace, even the worst are saved. In all of Israel's 1,500 years of covenant law, not a single person was made righteous by the law. Even the best of them, Abraham, who was a friend of God, Moses, who talked with God as a man face to face, David, a man after God's own heart, they all failed according to the righteous requirements of the law. So what hope is there for you and me to make it on our own best behavior? When you begin thinking, I've got to do something to get God's attention. Well, I better read my Bible more, I better pray more, I better stop cussing, I better to start tithing, I better, whatever it is. When you begin to think about what you must do in order for God's heart to warm to, towards you, you are in deception, you're in the old covenant. This is the biggest thing that stops believers from receiving the things that God promised is this self-righteousness. I have to do something. You know what self-righteousness is? I'm my own savior. Jesus is no longer my savior. What does is, what is Paul say in Galatians? You've cut yourself off from Grace. It's as if the cross is of no effect to you. When you begin to think, it's so subtle. I mean, nobody's intentionally saying, I'm my own savior. This is what most of Paul's letters are written about with self-righteousness. But God made a new arrangement between God and man. The old one is obsolete. Now even the worst of us can call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in an instant be made righteous. Under grace, even the worst can be saved. In the Old Testament, if you touched a person with leprosy, you became unclean. And the New Testament, Jesus touched a leper, and they became healed and whole and clean again. This is a new covenant. 
Under the law, sin is contagious. Under grace, healing and goodness are contagious. Under the law, sin is contagious. I mean, they're worried about you're unclean. Don't touch me. Oh, the, the priests are sweating. They got to wear linen. Da, 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 da. Sin, sin, sin. Da, 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 da. Lepers are crying out, oh, unclean. I mean, all this stuff, right? Now, we're the salt and light of the world. We're the ones changing the atmosphere. It's not sin that's changing the atmosphere. We're the ones changing it. Are you getting the picture that something completely different has invaded planet Earth? A completely new way of relating to God here. So I want to just take the last few minutes here, and I just want to look at the I wills of the new covenant. I plan on taking weeks on this. I might take each one of these I wills and do a whole week on it, but I just feel like we are supposed to dive into this new covenant until we get it. Does that sound okay? So uh, turn me to Hebrews chapter 8. I'm going to be reading verses 7 through 12 from the English Standard Version. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 7 through 12 in the English Standard Version. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no, need, no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Notice, the house of Israel and the house of Judah, that means every believer, because Romans 9 through 11 says that we have been grafted into this olive tree of Israel. So whatever was true for those promises, we are a part of that because, because of Jesus. Okay? We've been grafted into these things. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. Old covenant, boo. Verse 10, for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I want you to notice um, how much work we're supposed to do in this. Okay? God says, I will put my laws in their minds and write them in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they will teach each other, each one his neighbor, and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest. I love how God always starts with the least. Man always starts with the greatest. God always starts with the least and everyone in between. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Did you notice all the thou shalt, thou shalt nots that were absent in this passage? The new covenant is completely about what God will do. Here's what's interesting is the new covenant is not made between God and man. The new covenant is made between God and Jesus, so there's nothing you and I can do to screw it up. You guys get this, right? God, Jesus came and fulfilled these things. There's a blood covenant between God and Jesus. We're not going to look at it this week, but God actually, whenever God says something, it's true. His promise is true. But in the book of Hebrews, he keeps saying, I swear to them. His swearing is not to like make him extra. It's for our benefit to see he is so serious about this covenant. Guys, there's nothing that's going to screw it up. It's between God and Jesus, and guess what? You have been grafted into Jesus. You have been made one with him. So everything that belongs to Jesus now belongs to you if we will simply believe. So I want to look at these real briefly. Let's just take a, just a look at each phrase. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. 
The old covenant law, it was something on the outside of me, telling me what to do. It told them what to wear, what to eat, what to do on different days, how to spend their vacations, how to spend their money. I think a lot of people actually like that. Just tell me what to do. Old covenant, how much should I give? How much should I do this? How much should I do this? How how many times a week should I go to church? Old covenant, it demanded a life that I could not live and condemned me when I inevitably failed. Listen, God is not writing the Ten Commandments on your heart all over again. Remember, there's two laws in the Bible. The law of faith, which means God makes me trust him. He keeps showing me his goodness over and over again, and I just can't help myself. And the royal law of love. Uh, Love's a law in the new covenant. God will make you the kind of person who genuinely loves people and seeks their highest and best good in every situation. That's what he's making you into. A loving person on the inside, not because the law is telling you. And here's the thing about the new covenant. You ready for this? When God writes his law in your heart, Ezekiel um, 36, verses 25 to 27, expands on it. He says, and I will move you to follow my decrees. He's going to make you the kind of person, not because you're doing it, there's a law telling you to do it, but there's a Holy Spirit within you who's guiding you and prompting you. And you're like, hmm, I think I'm going to go talk to this person. You know what? I think I'm going to uh, tip this waitress extra, uh, extra big. There's no law that tells you to tip waitresses extra big. But there's this law on the inside of you that he writes in your heart. And you're like, you know what? I want to be generous to this person. This person needs an encouraging word. Uh, Mary and I were on a cruise a few weeks ago. Yep. That's how I got this tan. I prefer to think of it as light alabaster is my color here. Anyway, and so we're on the cruise. And I kept, uh, for some strange reason, walking into this expensive watch shop on the ship. I don't know how I got in there. And so... Had all these watches. Anyway, and so I, I just kept going in there and, you know, drooling on them and stuff, and I, I licked one of them anyway. And so the guy there was, like, super cool, and so we were talking to him, and he really loved the watch I had on. It was a really nice watch. And I felt uh, this prompting on the inside to give him my watch. You know what? That is, that, I thought at first it was the devil. I really did. <laughs> Stop it. Listen, there was no law telling me that. There was a law written in my heart, and he moves me to follow his decrees. Do you see the difference there? So if you've ever been moved to give to somebody, if you've ever been moved to give an encouraging word, if you've ever been moved to forgive somebody, even when they're acting unforgivable, there's a law that's been written on your heart, a law of love. And he's moving you. He's guiding you. There's this, he is so committed to your personal destiny that he sent the Holy Spirit there to mentor you into it. So when a crisis comes your way, don't, don't worry. He's, he's there to guide you through it. I love this. He says, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Uh, have you ever had a thought of him as my God, not just God? Everybody say, my God. My God, my God talking about my... <clears throat> I know. I can't think of that phrase, my God, without thinking of my pastor, Cletty Keith. And so he is uh, just one of the greatest people I've ever known. But he loves to tease his spiritual sons. And so just he tortures us and stretches us and makes us, you know, do things that are very stretching in, in the spirit. Like he's, he's trying to grow us up. But it's so funny. So I'll, he'll call me up. He'll be like, Jimmy, what are you doing? And um, I'm at the movies, Pastor. <clears throat> My God, Jimmy, the world's going to hell and you're watching a movie. And so it's just it's a funny thing he does. Like no matter what I'm doing, what are you doing? Oh, pastor, I'm uh, eating with some people. My God, Jimmy, the world's going to hell, and you're out there eating with people. So anytime I see that phrase, my God, I just got to think of Clay. It has nothing to do with anything, but just part, part of my history. 
my God, Jimmy. <laughs> we need to have pastor here, so, all right. It's not just God, it's my God. It's I belong to him in a special way, and he belongs to me in a special way. I love it. And they shall be my people. We've been included into a special group of people who he says, I'm going to put my name on them. I'm going to put my spirit on them. There's no distance between us. And I'm going to use this group of people to transform the planet. I'm going to fill the earth with a bunch of lookalikes of Jesus. I love Jesus so much that I'm going to fill the universe with a bunch of lookalikes of him. And he does it before you ever deserve anything. He equips you with a kiss. It's interesting. Uh, the first um, words in, uh, in Song of Songs are, let him kiss me. And uh, Brian Simmons actually just retranslated it. Um, let him smother me with kisses. The first thing that we can, uh, first and pretty much only thing we do with God is to let him have his way with us. And it's interesting that word kiss, it also means to equip for battle. So how is God going to equip you for battle and to train your hands for war? Let him kiss me. He will be your God. We will be his people. When a crisis comes your way, don't worry. He says, I will be your God. I'll be your provider. I will be your healer. I will be your deliverer. I will be your comfort. He fed over 2 million people every single day for 40 years in the desert. And he says, I will be your God. Verse 11, and they shall not teach, uh, they shall not teach each one his neighbor, each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. In other words, you don't have to teach people on the outside on how to know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. You can have firsthand knowledge of what God is like rather than a whole bunch of rules to live from. And God is the one who's going to teach you. God himself is the one who's going to reveal to you what he's really like. I mean, the pastor can help point some things and unlock some things, but I got some good news for you. It's not just when the pastor is talking or your favorite teacher or you're reading a book. God himself says, I will come and I will help you to know me. It's this last phrase that really got my attention, though. This is really, this last phrase here, it's what makes all the other things work. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities. Uh, the first time the word iniquity is used in the, is the book of Genesis when Cain um, uh, Cain uh, kills his brother Abel. It's an iniquity. It's a punishable offense. So whenever there's an iniquity, there's a punishment attached to it. Okay? For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Uh, when I read that, I thought it was almost too good to be true. Um, a lot of my early Christian experience um, was a weekly reminder of my sins. It seems like that's the reason we went to church, was so that we could be reminded of how far we, far we were falling short, of what miserable sinners we were, about how God had just about had enough of us, how his wrath was pouring up and storing up in this bowl, and it was about to be dumped up right over my life. No one else grew up in any of these places? Old covenant. Every week we were reminded in great detail of our sins. We were preached to week after week about the standard. And this led to a sense of shame and guilt and making us feel as if God was constantly angry at us. So what do we do? We responded to every altar call. We would go down front and we would rededicate our lives to God. And that was a sign that you're actually getting it. Yeah, these people get it. They see how horrible they are. And if you don't come down, well, you must be full of pride. And I remember the, uh, I mean, I would go and I would make promises to God of how I was going to do better and try harder and by Tuesday, I had broken every promise. I remember the one day it finally clicked with me. 
It's actually happened. And I went down to the last altar call. Everyone else was weeping and bawling and squalling on their faces. And uh, I went down there and I said, God, I promise I'm not going to make any more promises. I said, I get it now. That you're, you're not counting these things against me. You're not hovering. I know some of you are dying for me to balance this out and talk about how God chastens us and disciplines us. And we, we'll, we'll talk about that, but it's not how you think. He doesn't discipline you with horrible circumstances. He prunes you with his words, is what it says in John 15. Yeah. He, he deals with you on the inside, and he, he speaks to you. And his words are like a sword. They cut and heal all at the same time. What kind of a new covenant life is it talking about here? It's a life where there's no sense of guilt and shame before God who knows every thought that passed through my mind, every deed that was done with my hand, every word that was spoken out of my mouth. He says, I will be merciful towards their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. The uh, New Testament was originally written in Greek and the phrase no more, it's a double negative. In other words, it is very strong. It's like, never again. Oh, I just felt good to yell. I hardly ever yell. It's just good. <laughs> Remember means that he will never be mindful of your sins again. It doesn't like God suddenly gets amnesia. Like, whoa, hey, what's going on here? It's a little fuzzy. Here's what it means. God is saying, when you come to me, please don't think that I'm remembering your sins. Please don't think that I'm mindful of your sins. When I'm dealing with you, I will not be thinking about your sins. I'll be thinking about the price that my son paid and how much I love you. This is why, guys, we can boldly come into the throne of performance. No, I see. That was the old covenant. You get to boldly come into the throne of grace. Your dad is just so glad you're there. Whether you've blown it 50 times that hour or you've been speaking in tongues for an hour, it's the same to him. You guys have to understand, it doesn't say God has love. It says he is love. And for God to stop loving you, we'd have to cease to be. The entire universe would unravel. And he's just so glad you're there. Faults and all, I'm just so glad you're here. I can't imagine if uh, you know, a parent who's got a kid estranged and they come to the door, they're just so glad they're there. God says, when you think of me, don't think I'm always reminded of your sins. When you come in my presence, don't think I'm mindful of all your faults and all your shortcomings. Just come. God is saying he is no longer mindful of our sins. Are you guys ready for this bomb? For God to remember your sins, he would have to forget what Jesus did. Guys, all the shame's gone. All the condemnation's gone. All the cowering, all the hiding behind the fig leaves, all the things we're doing to try to please him. You guys ready for this one? Sin is not a problem in the new covenant. Self-righteousness is the problem. Because he dealt with the sin problem. I'm not saying sin's a good idea. It hardens your heart towards God. It makes you a slave and all those things. But it, sin does not change the way God feels about me. It changes the way I feel about God. The sin problem's been dealt with. God's heart is the same towards Hitler as it is towards Mother Teresa as it is towards you. It says that God has reconciled the entire world to himself. All the obstacles have been removed, and all he has is love and peace, and he's just waiting for you to turn around and run into his goodness. If you just stop running long enough, boom, you get hit by his goodness. 
You got a coworker who's praying for you. God, he says he sends rain on the just and the unjust. Why? Because he's a good dad. Listen, gang, if sin stopped people from receiving from God, then there is something terribly wrong with the earthly ministry of Jesus because every person who received from him was a big, fat, filthy sinner. They were under the old covenant. There was nothing that... Sin is not a problem under the new covenant. Self-righteousness is the problem. I don't have time to go into this. The whole, to the degree that you believe that God remembers your sins no more is the degree that you get to enjoy the blessings of the new covenant. We'll do this in another week, but there's uh, something called an evil conscience. An evil conscience, it sears you from God's goodness. Here's what an evil conscience is. I'm constantly aware of the evil in my life. I'm constantly aware of my sin. To the degree that you're sun conscious, it says you will receive an abundance of grace and you will reign in life. To the degree that you're sin conscious, you're locked in your own efforts. You're back under the old covenant. To the degree that you believe that God remembers your sins no more is a degree that he will write his law in your heart and move you to follow him. The reason I'm saying this is because it says, um, it says uh, for I will remember. Just for you Greek scholars out there, that's a henne purpose call, which means here's the whole reason this whole thing works. To the degree that you realize that God is no longer remembering your sins, he's not mindful of them when you're coming into his presence, is the degree that he will teach you to know him. Is the degree that you will receive all the blessings and promises. But to the degree that you think that you've got to do something, you're in self-righteousness, you're your own savior, you're still saved and going to heaven, you're just going to be living a fleshly life. That's what the Bible calls it. Flesh means uh, you're living out of the strength of your five senses apart from divine influence. Somewhere along the way, we've got to believe that if, if there's sin in your life, it does not stop God from healing people. Jesus modeled this. You've heard me say this. God only heals people who don't deserve it. If you don't believe this today and you go to a healing crusade, you're going to be in for a shock. Okay? You might think, why did God heal some non-Christians and he seemed to pass by some Christians? I know that person. They're a good person. Guys, God is not passing by Christians. He loves everybody. Okay? But he's passing by self-righteousness. And sometimes in the New Testament, we see prostitutes and tax collectors, people who knew they were bad. They didn't think they had, they didn't think they had anything to offer God. They were receiving the kingdom faster than the people who were religiously trained, who were church broke. People who depend on their efforts or obedience and think because of their obedience, God will heal them, God's going to bypass you. It's a new covenant. So get this phrase in your heart, helpless dependence. That's our posture. When you begin to think, you know, okay, I've got some good things. Listen, Here's the, in the kingdom, I act and I'm expecting God to act with me. I'm not trusting just the strength of my actions. I'm not talking about not working, just sitting on the couch and expecting everything. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. But I'm not trusting in my work. And you will work harder in the natural when you understand the love of God and you're energized by it than you will in your own self-efforts. Resting, listen, when man rests, God works. When man works, God rests. Now, when I mean work, I'm not talking about going to work. I'm talking about trying to do something to give him a reason to bless me. I'm disqualified because you're not disqualified because of sin. 
You're only disqualified as you begin to think that you're disqualified. You've heard me say this before, and um, I love this picture. The law says, this is one of my last pictures here. The law says, I'm going to read it. I will carry my end, and I will bless you if you carry your end. But if you don't carry your end, I will curse you. It's pretty much the law. A new arrangement's been made between God and man. Here's what the new arrangement says. God says, I will carry my end, and then I will come and carry your end, and treat you as if you carried your end yourself. All the good that's produced, all the change that's produced in your life, it's from let him kiss me. God, I believe it. If you are here and you have addictions and sinful behaviors that you can't get rid of, if you become sun conscious and recognize how much he loves you and you get into his presence, those things will melt off of you. You can't hang around the deliverer and not get delivered. Well, that was good. Because that's the gospel. Our response is faith. Faith is not this determination that I'm going to believe. That's putting faith in faith. Faith is now looking at Jesus, looking at all that he provided on the cross. And faith comes by hearing or, or seeing the promises, and it's a reflexive action of saying thank you. It's not, I'm going, oh boy, I'm going, to, I'm going to believe for that. I believe, I believe. It's none of this. It's, it's seeing it, and it's like, thank you. Wow, that sounds amazing, wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. I'm letting you kiss me with that. And it begins to flow into your life. Your starting point is no longer, I will try harder. But your response to him is, yes, do in me just as you have said. Let it be unto me according to your word. The last clause is the one that makes the whole thing work. God remembers your sins no more because he remembered them in the body of Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. He remembered your sins in his body. He judged that sin on that body. That's why he remembers your sins no more. He already remembered them back there, past, present, and future. When Jesus looked up with tears in his eyes and cried, it is finished, what was finished? The old covenant is fulfilled. Christ is the end of the law and is now perfect righteousness for us. What is finished? The years of God remembering your sins is finished. What is finished is that barrier or that veil that separated man from God. There is no more separation. You can come to God. God is no more mindful of your sins because Jesus paid for it all. Again, for God to remember your sins, he would have to forget what Jesus did. And God will not do that. So if you were here today and you were feeling condemnation, you're feeling addicted to something, you're just, just things are just not going the direction you have, you've got thoughts that you're trying to stop or just whatever that thing might be, I've got some good news for you. God will never be mad at you. That's the devil telling you that he's mad at you. God will never be mad at you. He's more like a hurt parent. Listen, when God is disciplining you and chastising you, he's pointing out things that are um, getting in the way of you accomplishing your destiny. He's trying to remove obstacles and roadblocks, and so he's going to share them with you. And you're like, man, I don't want that. The response of a believer when God points something out is like, man, thank you. I don't want to do that anymore. He takes those things away. You can stop trying to earn the blessings of God and let the water of the word wash over you. I'm telling you, you will become more holy on accident 
by focusing on Jesus and his goodness and what is available and coming into God's presence than through years of self-effort and accountability groups and discipline. So if you're a believer here today, I, I just invite you to walk in that level of freedom from condemnation. Any condemnation and shame is not from God. What about the conviction of the Holy Spirit? What's it say? He's trying to convict you of your righteousness. He says he convicts the world of sin because they don't believe. He says he's trying to convince the church of their righteousness. I know there's whole prophetic movements that are specializing in pointing out sin. If God's not remembering your sin, why is he sharing it with someone else to speak from the microphone? If in the old covenant he would save a wicked city for ten righteous people, why under the new covenant is he going to judge a city for its sin? I'm not saying that person isn't a true prophet. I'm saying what they're hearing is not from the third heaven, it's from the second heaven and it involves mixture. If you've got a problem with that, take it up with the new covenant, not me. If you were here today and you do not know Jesus, I have got some good news for you. The gospel is not announcing what you must do. You must repent. You must believe. No, no, no. Those are responses to good news. Here's what the word news means. The news means something awesome has already happened, and now I'm telling you about it. <laughs> news is past tense. The good news is that if you meet a sinner, you can say, have you heard the news? That God so loved you that he has forgiven you. He took you into himself. He reconciled you. He removed all the obstacles between you and his heart. He has delivered you. Have you heard the good news? That you are welcome into the dance of God. Have you heard the news that you are the object of love and you are welcomed and you are made new? You have become the adopted child of God that Jesus has made you. That's the news. So faith isn't this work that I must do to show God that I'm serious. It's me simply hearing that news and saying, thank you for telling me that. I received that. And it changes your life. And you've just let him kiss you. Repentance means change your mind. Change your mind about who you think Jesus is and rethink your life in light of this marvelous opportunity. I've repented. I changed my mind about who Jesus Christ is. I changed my mind about myself. I changed my mind about my father. And I abandoned myself in reckless trust that God is exactly who he said he is. And so if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus, or you're, you're not walking with him, I just want to give you a chance to trust Jesus, to abandon yourself to this good news. And so if that's you, you're here with um, every head up, every eye open, and everyone looking around. I'm going to ask you just to be bold. Jesus said this, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. And if you're here, man, this is a group of people who are going to do nothing but cheer you on towards good things. And uh, there's been a time when every single one of us have taken that step of faith. And here's what the Bible says. It says that all of heaven rejoices when one lost person comes home. So every believer here, there was a day when there's a party in heaven and the name over the banner had your name on it. This is so good. And so if you're here today, I just want to give you an opportunity. You do not know Jesus. I'm just going to ask you to do something bold. So you know what? I want to know him. I don't want to abandon myself to him. You do not know him, but you're taking a step. Is there anybody in here? Just raise your hand nice and big. Anybody in here? I see like a little three-year-old hand. That's adorable. Anybody else? You do not know Jesus, but you're like, hey, I want to I do this. Live stream. 
it works for you too. And so, uh, you know, I, I, just pre- I feel like I just preached a gospel message, and so I, I feel like I just need to lead somebody in this thing. And so if you're here and you didn't respond, um, guess what? He's not judging you based on your lack of response. You can respond again. And uh, if you're watching today, I just encourage you, maybe prayer, prayer, something like this. Jesus, thank you. <laughs> thank you for removing every obstacle, paying the price. I don't even understand it all, but thank you that you've done it all. And I want that in my life. I believe that is for me. I'm going to let you kiss me. So Holy Spirit, come into those lives and I'll let them never be the same so that they can know you as my God and not just as God. And believer, if you're here and you're struggling with this thing, I encourage you to come the next couple months. We are going to go after this thing and um, just reflect on this.